Hello and welcome to Cinematicon Ex Mortis. That's the podcast where we talk about horror movies. I'm your host, Kenny, and I'm here with... Am I supposed to say my own name? Is that yeah, what that pause is yeah, for? Yeah, you're supposed to say. Oh, okay. So that's why last time it sounded really wonky when you were like, Heather. And I was like, you definitely know my name. So what's this about? Yeah, no, actually that time I, I just forgot. But No, you didn't. This time it was like an intentional like a toss yeah, right so we call it Ooh, in the wish. business okay anyway so, continue yeah. so your name is heather am i right he- yeah can you not yes my name is heather let's okay. move on all right so we've got that established out of the way um and today we're going to be talking about white zombie uh, no, not Rob Zombie's uh, band, the 1932 film with Bela Lugosi. Um, so this is the namesake of the band. So Rob Zombie named his band after this movie, and that's because it's pretty awesome. It's directed by Victor Halperin and produced by his brother Edward Halperin. They were a sort of filmmaking team, kind of like the 1930s Coen brothers, only not very good. Um, and it stars uh, <laughs> Bela Lugosi, and uh, Madge Bellamy and John Heron. Um, it's an early talkie. So uh, in 1932, uh, sound had just sort of been fully implemented in Hollywood, uh, starting in like 1928. So these films often don't have full musical scores. The sound can be a bit janky. Um, this one actually has a good deal of music in it compared to some other early talkie horror films like Frankenstein and Dracula. Um, It's also the first zombie movie ever made. Um, The concept of zombies had just been introduced to the English-speaking world a few years earlier in William B. Seabrook's book about Haiti called The Magic Island. Um, And it's also kind of interesting in that it's an independent film. Um, So this wasn't made by RKO or Universal or Paramount, um, but it looks a lot like those films because it was shot largely on sets that were rented from Universal. So if you're a fan of the classic Universal monster movies, you might recognize some of the sets in this from those. And uh, this was uh, Heather's pick. So this is a film that you really like, Heather. Uh, What do you like about it? Um, Honestly... I feel like it's very visual for me. It's very, it's a lot different than most horror movies in the aspect that it's very pretty to look at. Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. So it also, I mean, like full disclosure here, once again, we're going to be spoiling everything. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, um, I don't know. Should we, maybe we should get started with a, like a little plot summary so people know what's going on in this movie, um, as we talk about it. Okay, so uh, Neil, which is John Heron's character, meets Madeline, who is Madge Bellamy's character, in Haiti. Uh, why are they going to Haiti? I'm not really sure. I mean, they're getting married, but why get married in Haiti? Maybe it's just like that's where they want to do their honeymoon. That's not too clear to me. But anyway, they meet in Haiti, and on the way over, Madeline has met a white Haitian planter named Beaumont, who convinces the couple to get married on his estate by promising to give Neil a job. Um, In reality, Beaumont has fallen in love with Madeline and wants to get her away from Neil by sorcery if necessary. He obtains a potion from the local necromancer named Murder Legendre, that's Bela Lugosi, and when he fails to persuade Madeline to leave Neil for him, 
as he's walking her down the aisle, um, maybe some bad timing on his part, um, he uses it to put her into a death-like state. Uh, Beaumont and Murder then retrieve Madeline's now zombified body from a crypt and retreat to a gothic castle in a deserted part of the island. Apparently there are these, you know, amazing, like, 13th century gothic castles in some parts of Haiti. Um, and, uh, Not then, sure why not. Uh, Neil, the uh, Madeline's fiance, aided by a Christian missionary, uh, gives chase. And that sort of, you know, sets us up for the end of the film. Um, right. So that's what basically happens in the movie. Um, so uh, where were we? Um, you asked me what you... I liked about it. Yeah. Things that you liked about it. Well, I was thinking about it earlier today because I honestly, well, we we watched it before like many years ago and then honestly like I tried to show it to a friend of mine like a few years ago and I was like this is hella boring I'm really sorry I don't remember why I liked this movie but then I thought you know I'm gonna give it another chance and I once again really liked it so I don't know what happened I there are parts that drag but it has a happy ending which mm -hmm. is something that I realized today when I was thinking about it. And that's really rare for a horror movie. Well, I feel like all these early horror films, like Dracula and Frankenstein and The Mummy, the monster tends to be destroyed at the end. And there's like a pair of young lovers who are now able to get married. Um, well, what about in I Walked With a Zombie? Didn't have a didn't it have a sad ending? Maybe we should uh, not spoil that just yet and maybe return to that in a future episode. Because okay, that's another really geez. interesting early uh, zombie film. Um, okay. And it's kind of interesting uh, for modern viewers to go back to these early zombie movies, I Walked with a Zombie and White Zombie, um, because to us, these aren't really zombies in the sense that, you know, zombies are everywhere in our culture now. But... They're always a, a yeah. sort of different kind of zombie. I have, like, some problems there. There's some inconsistencies. Do you know what I mean? Mm. In, With the zombie. what this movie thinks In terms of this is. movie. Yeah, because there's a part where someone says something about corpses. Mm -hmm. You know? I forget what the exact quote is, but some someone is claiming that their corpses come to life or something. And then in the end, Madeline gets better. Mm -hmm. So she's clearly not a corpse. Otherwise she would just die like all the way die, you know? Yeah. Like she, you know, you know, I mean like there's, there's a lot of aspects to like what these zombies are because it's partially, um, like medicinal and then partial, partially like there's magic involved. Right. So the process to turn Madeline into a zombie is first, there's a sort of powder that needs to be either sprinkled into a drink or onto a flower that she smells. And I guess she's like snorting it. Yeah. So it's like you're ingesting it either, you know, by a drinking or snorting. And then um, after that, then uh, Murder, Legendre, um, has to 
sort of creep around the house and while he's looking right. in the window he has to create a little voodoo doll out of wax um, like of madeline and then uh sort of roast it and that puts her into the trance um and i think that's something that is ambiguous in the film itself like to what extent is this magic and to what extent is it uh scientific or you know some kind of chemical reaction that happens um okay. and it's kind of interesting because in that way the film is sort of uh in touch with what zombies really originally were so um in modern day culture um we think of zombies as these uh cannibalistic flesh eating you know mindless creatures that rise from the dead and then just wander around trying to eat people uh, perhaps eat their brains in particular um and uh that's not at all what zombies originally were like so they're a real feature of uh, haitian folklore um in particular the sort of world of voodoo and uh the idea is that a shaman can uh bring somebody back a recently deceased person from the grave but minus their soul and so now the person has to do everything the shaman commands the person to do so i think in probably seabrook's uh book from 1929 that introduced this concept of zombies to the english-speaking world he maybe talk i haven't read the book but he perhaps talks about how this may this superstition may have some basis in fact um but uh, definitely the uh, ethnobiologist Wade Davis uh, later on um, went to Haiti and uh, discovered the actual practice of zombification. Um, and what it actually is, is um, it's, I think it's called a tetradoxin. It's this special chemical compound that they get out of pufferfish. And uh, you kind of like in the movie, you know, slip this into somebody's food and it causes them to go into a death-like coma. And then once the person is buried and perhaps has suffered some uh, brain damage, um, then they're unearthed by the uh, shaman and told, you know, your soul is gone. Now you have to do everything I say. And uh, presumably this works uh, some good amount of the time to where the person then feels that I, my soul is gone. I have to do what the shaman says. So it's this interesting thing where, um, you know, it's, popularly believed to be a supernatural event but it actually has some basis in in reality as well right and in the film it's kind of it's debated within the film right there are characters like the driver in the first scene who believe that these zombies are real you know corpses that have been reanimated through magic and uh Bela Lugosi's character murder certainly seems to think that he has a supernatural control over these people um but then there's the character there are characters like the missionary who says no it's not it's some kind of you know chemical thing and they just bury people who actually aren't dead and then dig them up i think well there's definitely there's definitely something supernatural going on yeah there's also a moment where i felt like the movie was implying that madeline was somehow psychically calling to neil when he's outside of the castle I don't know. I felt like she was kind of psychically calling to him, a la Jane Eyre. I really didn't. I mean, there was that that scene where he has like a vision of her, but isn't he like really drunk? Yeah, that. well, that's a lot earlier. But yeah, that's another moment where it seems like there's some kind of 
supernatural paranormal connection between those two characters so uh after madeline's been buried neil is getting hammered in a in a bar and he starts seeing visions of her and we see her as well um so that's another moment in the film where it's maybe leading us to question like what can we trust out of what we're being shown because when neil is seeing a hallucination we're seeing it too so how much of the supernatural things that happen in the show are supposed to really be happening in the story Hmm. i didn't give it that much thought i just thought like this guy's shit-faced like that sucks you know like he's just like hyper depressed yeah but that makes sense i mean because he like stumbled all the way there to the castle to like see her so that's something yeah he's kind of like next to useless as a as a hero in like a funny way oh Um, yeah he doesn't do like anything yeah like he 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 doesn't know anything he has to be told everything by other characters like uh the missionary guy um Mm -hmm. he doesn't take much initiative and then when they're getting close to the castle where he can finally you know be the white knight and rescue the damsel in distress he's like oh i'm tired (laughs) i'm I'm just gonna lay here i feel pretty bad you know my stomach my tummy hurts and so he just kind of like lays there on the beach and the missionary guy goes until he has this like you know second vision of madeline he sort of stumbles out of his is caught and beats the missionary to the castle, but then like instantly collapses on a bench. So great job, Neil. Yeah. Uh, A A for effort. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. I'd give him like a B because of all the (laughs) drinking. Yeah. If he was like really serious, uh, then again, he didn't really know what he was doing or what was going on. Yeah. At that point he thinks she's dead. So what can he do? Right. I don't know. I just still feel like could have done a little better. Could have put. I mean, maybe he's just like doesn't. He's just not very bright, and we're, we don't really know anything about him. We're not like. I I feel like they could have done more to make us care about him. Yeah, I definitely think that's one of the things that goes into the negatives column for this movie. Uh, for me, is the characters in general. Um. Uh, so Madeline and Neil have basically no personality. Uh, they're young, mm-hmm. attractive white people, and that's pretty much it. Um, I guess that's supposed to be enough for you. Yeah. And, and it's a problem that I've noticed across all these uh, early talky horror films. Uh, so like Frankenstein and Dracula have this problem too. I've just noticed this pattern where there's always a young couple who are usually engaged um or the the girl is engaged to the like mad scientist character so in frankenstein you've got um frankenstein's fiance and then there's this dude who's like friend zoned um who wants to get with her and so there's always like this male and female lead character and they're supposedly the protagonists of the piece but neither of them have anything interesting about them and it's like, just make Frankenstein the protagonist. Like, what are you doing? Or give us something interesting, you know, in these characters. Like, do do something with these characters. Like, in Dracula, uh, the 1931 Dracula, Jonathan Harker is, like, the main hero of the book, I guess. 
Um, and in the movie, they give all the interesting stuff to Renfield that Jonathan Harker does in like the first third of the novel. And then Jonathan Harker's just like, he's there. Like he, he barely does anything in the whole movie. Um, mm-hmm. So that's, I don't know. That's something I think is, is a problem with this one as well. Um, at least as a modern viewer watching a movie from, you know, 80 years ago. Uh, it The characters don't really give you much to root for or be interested in um the protagonist anyway the 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 villains in these movies are great of course well what we have here also is that you kind of are led to believe early on that what's his face the guy who's trying to steal the the guy's girl what's his face of beaumont Okay, so we kind of think he's the bad guy because he's, like, trying to steal the fiancé and he's got this, like, sinister plan. Well, at first he kind of, like, resists the idea of zombifying Madeline. Yeah. But then he is kind of a bad guy, you know? Oh, yeah. But then he changes his mind and he realizes the error of his ways and he wants to reverse it. So it's... I, I feel like he's probably the most interesting character. Hmm. Yeah, but I mean, that's like a a low bar for this movie, I think. Yes, it is very low. It's very low. He has an awesome death scene, though. Speaking of spoilers, (laughs) that I I really like the the ending where he pushes uh, Bela off the cliff and we see like the dummies fall into the uh, shoreline. Oh, God. Um, Yeah, I I immediately thought of you. This is what's sad because like we we can't watch these movies at the same time right now. But um. I did well, think of we, you. We could watch them at the same time, but it's more of the same we place. Can't watch them. That wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. That would be really complicated and annoying. But anyway, I thought about you when you see like the first body, like almost hit the ground. It just looks so silly. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I mean, you can tell that it's a dummy. I know, but it's just it's hilarious. Yeah. It's just yeah. so, it's just like, I don't know. It's like, it, it makes you happy to watch it because it's so funny. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I was kind of going with it. You kind of have to accept with these older movies, there's going to be some pretty janky special effects. Like, um, I know, and it's wonderful. Yeah, like the, the bats in Dracula come to mind where you can like see the strings as clear as day. And it's just like. It's just a rubber bat like you would see in a Halloween store Um, and like cartoonish, like not even like anatomically realistic to what a bat looks like. And it's just flapping its wings like while moving, like not moving at all. It's just completely in place. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it's great. You just, yeah, you see that like it's part like, of the well, magic you know, of... yeah, it was a different time, <laughs> you know, like maybe most people had never even heard of a bat. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like, what is that thing? Yeah. It's like, they're like, oh, I guess that's probably what a bat looks like. You know, they probably wow, just horrifying. hover in place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they do like that. that. It's like a hummingbird, right? Yeah. They just like hover. hover. Yeah. That's, that's what they look like in real life. Very exotic. <laughs> like these are vampire bats. This is specific to that genus. Is it murder? Isn't that a little bit of an on-the-nose kind of a name? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, so. just checking. Is it just me, or is just naming your, your bad guy straight-up murder? Just a and it, it gets confusing, too, right? Because when we're talking about murder, we have to be like, okay, not 
the, the, the man, act of murdering not the someone. action. Yeah. But uh, I, I mean, I think the ending is kind of it's neat, but it doesn't doesn't feel earned in a way. Like, and it kind of ties that back to what we were saying about Neil not really having a lot of agency or anything to him. Um, I mean, at, in the end of the movie. You know, he's just about to get destroyed by the zombies and nothing clever comes to save him. It's just the missionary guy has been hanging out and he just like uh, uh, hits Bela Lugosi over the head with like, I don't even know. (laughs) (laughs) He just conks him (laughs) on the back of the head and then tells Neo like, hey, try running away from the zombies. (laughs) And, And he just runs out of the way and they all walk off the cliff. And then uh, Beaumont, you know, uh, knocks uh, murder off the cliff and falls off himself. And so it's just it just feels like the simplest way to resolve the plot that you could think of is just like throw everybody bad off the cliff and the good guys stay on. (laughs) Well, they did shoot this movie in 11 days um, very quickly. Yeah, very low budget as well. Right. It was like fifty thousand dollars. And despite our griping about the special effects, the film overall looks fantastic. Oh, um, yeah, it's beautiful. That's like what I was saying in the beginning. Like, it's very pretty. And, yeah. you know, you, you want to keep watching it because it's just, yeah, stunning. And it's a very visual film. Like, I mean, it's an early talkie, like I said. And um, you get the sense that the filmmakers and the actors are people who have done a lot of work in silence and um it shows like there there are whole scenes that have no dialogue and where everything's conveyed through the visuals like um we were talking about the scene with neil hallucinating madeline that to me is like a scene right out of a silent movie right everything is being conveyed through his exaggerated gestures of being like oh come back and you know her her image appearing and um the that the way that that scene is shot is really cool too like the um the staging of it so like neil is the only bar patron that we see everybody else is just represented by shadows on the wall um And there's a lot of cool work with light and shadow in this one. It's, uh, I think, really influenced by German Expressionism, films like uh, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari and Nosferatu. So I guess you can't really talk about White Zombie without talking about race, right? I mean, it's in the name, White Zombie. And it also takes place on on Haiti. Yeah, takes place in Haiti. um, And... Uh, you know, we're being presented for the first time on film with an aspect of Haitian folklore, the the zombie. So you've got uh, you've got the sort of planter class that are like the white people represented by Beaumont, and then you have the black characters are like the laborers. And in particular, we see uh, a mill that's being run by zombies who are black who work for uh, murder. And so we, we sort of see this um, racial hierarchy in Haiti where the black people are the workers. Um, also like the, the driver of the carriage in the first scene. Um, one thing that's kind of unfortunate about the film is it does have actors in blackface. Um, I don't know if you noticed that. Oh my God, that. really? No, I didn't. Yeah, it's, it's weird. It's really weird because it's it's not all. So like in the opening scene, the driver is played by uh, an African-American actor. 
um, who's actually like a really interesting dude. So the driver's played by Clarence Muse. And according to Wikipedia, he is like a bunch of firsts. He was like the first African-American actor to be billed as starring in a Hollywood movie. He was Ooh. in the first uh, Hollywood movie with an all African-American cast. He was an early African-American film director. Um, so really interesting guy. Um, and you've got him in the first scene. I think he does a great job. And then yeah. um, you've got the uh, the Haitian shaman character who appears um, to direct Neil and the missionary to Murder's castle, uh, like partway through the film. Do you remember that guy? No. Yeah, so he's played no. by Dan Crimmins, who is a white guy um, in blackface. And, God. Uh, yeah, and it's a really obnoxious performance. I'm surprised you don't remember because he he sort of like oh. he acts as if he like I guess he doesn't the character doesn't know English very well. Um, and so he uh. just speaks extremely slowly, like enunciates everything like murders castle <laughs> is that way. Like he talks really slow. Um, uh. It's really a sort of grating performance. Yeah, well, I kind of just expect that shit from old movies like this. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I wouldn't have been thinking, oh, wow, this is obnoxious. I, You know, it's just part of the territory. But next time I watch it, yeah, I'm definitely going to notice. Yeah. But, I mean, on the other hand, there's something about the zombie as a folkloric creature that kind of has its own critique of this you know racial class structure embedded in it maybe because you know the zombie is a person who has been deprived of all agency they've had their soul taken away and all they do is work so there's that great scene in the mill where we see the zombies working the mill and one of them falls into it and they just keep turning mm -hmm. anyway so he's getting crushed up with the i don't know what it is um sugar or something really disturbing um probably influenced by um the novel the jungle um from the early 20th century that described the uh uh meat industry in the united states where it describes workers falling into the meat Ew. processing uh machines and just ending up as uh, hot dogs and hamburgers no, no yeah so there's the, there's that scene and it's hard not to read that scene as um you know, a, a criticism of that form of labor where people are just sort of reduced to instruments in this giant machine. I mean, you could read that through a racial lens, but then also, you know, this is a film made in 1932. This is during the Great Depression. Um, so, you know, a lot of American workers were in that position of, you know, being forced to work for starvation wages, doing these really rote mechanical tasks um so i don't know so it's, you think that's some kind of social commentary yeah i mean and maybe it's not even conscious on the part of the filmmakers but i think this you know the idea of the zombie and its uh appeal and the interest that it had at the time must have had something to do with the way that it's this sort of bizarro version of the social relations that actually existed like people are watching this movie and they're like that's me yeah or like and you know and that's the horror of it is like i'm a zombie oh, oh shit you know like 
<laughs> I recognize that, you know, either that's me or that could be me if I lose my, you know, better job that I have. Or I, I know people that have a job like that, you know. I, I know that that exists in my society and it sucks. The character Murder, played by Bela Lugosi, is... He's sort of the uh, epitome of these oppressive systems, right? Like, he is like the ultimate form of this uh, oppressive upper class that takes away the worker's agency and uses people as just machines to produce profit for him. Um, but at the same time, he also kind of represents the resentment of the oppressed and this sort of marginalized person. So uh, murder is somebody that nobody wants anything to do with. He lives far away from everybody else in this like scary part of the island that nobody goes to. And um, when Beaumont goes to seek his help, um, it's almost like, uh, you know, when Antonio goes to get help from Shylock in The Merchant of Venice, he uh, murder holds out his hand to shake his hand and Beaumont won't touch it. And we see that, you know, uh, murder intensely resents this. Um, so he has this, you know, thing about him. He's got this uh, chip on his shoulder about being somebody that nobody wants to associate with who is, um, you know, marginalized um, and othered. Mm hmm. And isn't that weird that, like, the same character can represent sort of the scary parts of both sides of this um, societal divide? And in a way, you know, Bela Lugosi as a casting choice is perfect then, right? Because he is white, but he's also foreign and weird, right? He's a Hungarian actor who could never lose his accent, and so he only was able to play monsters and villains in Hollywood movies um, because he was always sort of, you know, coded as some foreign weirdo. <laughs> yeah, and that's sad for Bela. Yeah. Like, really sad. But cool for but horror I movies don't. because he was in a lot of great classic horror movies. Yes. Yes. Anything else that you liked about the movie that you wanted to talk about? Um, I kind of, I really like the way they did people's makeup. Like they mm, did the actors' makeup in it. It it also kind of is a callback to the silent era of films. Definitely. And that made it more creepy. Yeah, I really you liked uh, Madeline's makeup. Like when yes, she gets me zombified. Too. Exactly. Um, yes. It really reminded me of a Tim Burton movie. Uh, oh, yeah. Which makes sense. Totally. Tim Burton's also really heavily influenced by German expressionism and these early horror movies. Um, but she's got like a very pale face and then she's got like eye shadow. Um, so there's a strong contrast. Yeah. It gives it like that sunken in look. Like, you know, it just looks like she's, I don't know kind of dead you know yeah it's corpse like but it's also you know she's also very beautiful and the makeup right. doesn't obscure that so it's like a doll like kind of thing mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and she did do she did do a really good job with that like blank stare i found it interesting that she could still play the piano when she was a zombie yeah i mean and that's our introduction to her as a zombie is her performance on the piano i'm i, I put a note about that too because i thought it was really interesting because you know playing a musical instrument is not 
something we particularly associate with being robotic you know it's this emotional right uh, creative thing you know like people even today say like well a computer will never write a sonnet you know a computer will never be able to write a you know beautiful piece of music of course they already have um yeah but it's something that we think of as being you know authentically human or you know uniquely human mm -hmm. and uh or even and more human than human mm, there's a <laughs> reference for you white zombie fans out there <laughs> yeah that like um, mistakenly stumbled upon this podcast thinking it was about rap zombie yeah so if you stuck yeah. around until like an hour and a half <laughs> into the podcast, you finally got a bone thrown to you. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it's uh, in a way it's weird, but it's also kind of fitting, right? Because, um, you know, player pianos existed already in this time period. The piano, as far as instruments go, it's one of the more mechanical ones, um, one of the less expressive, right? When you hit the key, it just makes a particular note. I mean, it's louder or quieter depending on how hard you hit it but that's all you get um and uh mm -hmm. so compared to something like a violin or a guitar um it's a less expressive instrument and it's one that we sort of we know that a robot can play it you know you can uh program something to you know or set up a mechanism to play piano and sort of do a parlor trick with it yeah, I mean, there's like some muscle memory involved in playing an instrument, but the thing is, is like, what made her pick that song? You know what I mean? Like, there had to have been some kind of independent thought in order to pick that song because no one told her to. Hmm. So. Yeah, so maybe it's sort of representing that there is a part of her that's still in there, that's still yeah. salvageable. Right, and I feel like they, they made other references to that, too. Well, sure, like when she's uh, told to stab Neil and she stops, mm -hmm. she doesn't, she stops herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's, you know, a motif, uh, I would say, in a lot of, like, early fantasy and horror movies. Like, it reminds me of Metropolis. Um, have you seen that one? The Fritz Lang movie? Yeah. You know, you often have these characters who are um, uh, kind of like RoboCop or something where they're struggling with like their human side and their, you know, evil side or the side of them that's mind controlled or something like that. There's a real fascination with the sort of duality of human nature in these movies. Right. And that's all the time we have for today's episode of Cinematic on Ex Mortis. Join us next time. We'll be talking about Tenebrae, the 1982 film by Dario Argento. See you then.